Welcome to another episode of Ways of Life. I'm your host, Krista Wells. And in this episode, you'll hear a conversation I had with Matthew Dwyer. Matthew is a grief and death doula, a yoga teacher, and a curtainwala, which in India is a person who sings and chants the divine names of God. I met Matthew through my friend Adriana, who's featured a couple episodes back on this podcast. Together, Matthew and Adriana lead what they call a death cafe. You'll hear me mistakenly refer to it as grief cafe at the beginning of our conversation. I happened to be in Ojai, California at Adriana's house while she and Matthew were leading a death cafe gathering last winter on Zoom, and I found it deeply moving. I found him to be a deeply present and compassionate witness and guide to the participants. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matthew and are inspired to come a little closer, perhaps, to your own grief or the grief of others in your life. I'd love to start there and just have you share about Grief Cafe and what that is. That's been like a, a work in pro- progress for me in being able to, to sit and listen comfortably with things that might be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I, I can tend to go like a mile a minute. You know, it's my, my nature is to kind of hit the floor and like, and talk and, and take up a good amount of space. <laughs> so, so over the, the, past bunch of years, um, I've learned how to like pump the brakes a little bit. Um, and especially when we're talking about death, dying and grief, because like you said, those words, you know, can be scary and can make us kind of clench and either want to run away or cower or whatever it is. So <laughs> it's funny. I, I just said that, that word cower and I'm we've adopted this dog here in Mexico who is, who came from like a, let's just say not, not a great living situation. Mm -hmm. And he's very, very nervous and very scared. And even though we're offering all these, all like love and love plus treats, because that's (laughs) the way to get to a dog's heart and most humans, um, (laughs) he's, he's still cowers. Right. And again, it's I have to learn patience to just let him be where he needs to be and just continue to love him. And it's incredibly hard for me with an animal because I'm so used to having animals that are like, yay. Um, right. So just thinking about that word of cower, it's just like, no, I'm right here for when you're ready to come out. Right. So the, the Death and Grief Cafe. It's a way that Adriana and I wanted to open up space for the community. And by community, we mean the people that are in our sphere to be able to have these conversations in a place that is non-judgmental and open. Mm. And I think one of the quickest ways to do that is like, it's like almost like opening a Ziploc bag or I don't know, just like talking a little bit and then like letting the other person look inside yeah, and then, you know, see, see what's there and not tell them like, whatever is there is, is right or wrong. It's just like, that's the, that's the lunch that was packed that day. Mm. 
Yeah. There, uh, I'm just realizing as you're speaking, it is death cafe, not grief cafe, although it is a grief <laughs> but I appreciate that you said that because it, it is more to my point of why it scared me at first. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When I heard Death Cafe, I was like, what is that? You know, and um, it's all it's doesn't change what you just explained. But I just wanted to share that that um, because even titling it, that is you guys standing in this like very honest, bold place. Like, yeah, we're going to go all the way there. Like any, you know any kind of grief is a death, right? Or it involves a death of some sort. And and um, you didn't, even in the, I just pay attention to these details. As a songwriter, I pay attention to what we name songs and and I and how we give language to things. And just, I think that's a very uh, telling thing that you even called it that. Now, what is the, for, for people who, you know, are, have not, experience this, what is the format of that particular gathering? And I know you do many other things as well. Yeah. You know, and anything that I've ever done with Adriana, we end up changing the title like 40 times. <laughs> it, it, she might have at one point even wrote like Grief Cafe and you know, it, it's Adriana's nature and you know, her and I have been such good friends for so long that we just let, I let that happen and I, you know, it's fun. Yeah. And the, and the format is, also similar to, to that, meaning it changes depending on the month. So we hold it every month. Right now, it's it's been the second Friday of every month, but we're contemplating changing it. And it's a little bit, um, you know, format is, hello, this is Adriana, we'll sort of do the introduction, introduce me. And at some point we read the, intention and ground rules and the ground rules they sometimes feel really nice to hear but it's things like you know we're not here to give advice we're not here to brag we're not here to tell anybody what is right or wrong uh, we're just here to bear witness and give people a space to talk about death dying and grief and mm. again, what's in that brown paper lunch bag right um, sometimes there'll be, oftentimes there will be some kind of poetry or written um, prose. Adriana will often guide us in some kind of movement practice because mm -hmm. it's through her body temple church. And, you know, if there's a bit of a, I don't know, oh, uh, what's teaching or like education on death and grief? Yeah. Or maybe whatever is coming up in 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 my little sphere, and then we we open it up for folks to share. You know, I imagine if we were in a group, we would be able to just go in a circle. Mm -hmm. If someone wants to share, they can. If someone doesn't, they'll pass. Um, and then after that, that's kind of takes up the m most of the time. We may have a little closing practice, and then after the official closing because we have been recording it, which we think we're gonna change. Um, I've been sort of hanging out afterwards for a half an hour where people can have a little bit more open dialogue and know that it's not being recorded. Right. Uh, again, that is probably gonna change. We, I think we wanna focus more on it being for people there. Mm, so right. It, there's no, you know, we, we, we could act a little different when we see that recording, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, that's true. Someone's gonna, 
watch this or yeah so we'll we'll see how that goes but that's the general format that's beautiful how has been doing this that form i i want to say maybe about six or seven months now okay so it's been during this pandemic period that that rose up and just as kind of a out of curiosity Yes, on the side, um, you've done a lot of work, obviously, in person with people, and now you've done some remotely via Zoom. Do you feel a major difference? Is it very limiting, or is it? Does it open up uh, maybe some good things that we wouldn't expect? Well, the the great thing about it is, just like you and I, we're we're mm-hmm. now connecting. You know, I'm taking this call in Mexico City, mm-hmm. and it's a great way for us to still be able to serve without having to be in front of someone. Right. You know, I've, I've found out that when most folks are wanting to talk with me about grief, because a lot of the work that I do these days is sitting with people who are grieving. Mm. A lot of them want to do it online. Mm. I, I have some spaces that I work out of and I would love to see people in person. I don't know if it's just the this the net that I cast as mostly people online that are ready to talk about mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, you know, in person, obviously, we all know, like we miss having that kind of feedback, right? Just like being in a room with someone. Um, yeah, but we've adapted so much, and I believe so much of this work is like a you know, we need to like turn inwards. So my background is in inner yoga. So being able to lean on that and hopefully uh, that comes through in these sessions online. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time on Zoom the last couple of years and I have been pretty amazed by human capacity to adapt and to connect with one another. And I've seen relationships, you know, you and I were talking beforehand about the mastermind that I work with and seeing those people really connect so deeply that they all were willing to travel to Nashville at the end of the nine months to see each other in person. And it was so emotional, you know, such connection is possible. Now for the kind, to choose the kind of work that you choose, being intimate with people who start out as strangers and entering into the sacred space of their grief and and their transformation. What is it, what has it been in your life journey and just who you are that makes you a person who chooses that generous work? <laughs> I, I'm gonna take the easy way out of this question. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't choose it. Okay. Didn't. I I I you know, and I, I say that, you know, with a smile and also with a lot of sincerity. I, I had not interest in this work. Okay. And hmm, to make a, a kind of long, detailed story short, I, I was pilgrimaging the U.S. and I was staying at my guru's ashram in in Taos, the 
Hanuman uh, temple, the Hanuman Mandir in Taos is the, also the ashram of Neem Kroli Baba or Maharaji, the same guru that Ramdas had. And I was there for about a month and I woke up in the middle of the night towards the end of my stay and I kept repeating death doula, death doula, death doula. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I, I don't know. <laughs> Looking back at it now, because I thought a lot about this, I think I must have seen it like on someone's just like Instagram, just going through me and like, you know, sure. so it's registered. It needed to catch me some way. And yeah, from from there I was just thrust into doing death work. And from that, I was getting a lot of people that were saying, like, hey, what about folks that are dealing with grief? And you know, I always want to be careful about where I offer um, support because I don't ever want to go out of scope. Mm. So I just talked with a couple people about where they were and what I could offer them. And it seems to be, I don't want to say helpful, but supportive. Mm -hmm. So then from there, I just started working with folks and learning more about grief and, and how to be with people in grief. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't choose it. It really was, it was kind of given to me to do and, which is, it kind of takes pressure off me in a certain way. <laughs> Absolutely. And I do understand what you're saying when you say that. What do you, what is it that has helped give you the capacity, um, like on a human level, what is it that gives you the capacity to carry out this kind of work and to connect with it? Did you have personal experiences? Well, you know, obviously that caused you to enter into this space so that when you enter it with other people, you have that common history or common understanding. I generally am interested in folks. Mm -hmm. I, I like to connect with people. I like to observe people. And so much of the inner work that I've done over the years in a really simple way, which Neem Kroli Baba told us all to do is love everyone. And that's, we can say in some ways, that's our, like our natural way of being, but that's not really the way that we grew up. Right. You know, growing up in New Jersey, I'm like, <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. Like my first reaction usually is like frustration and anger. Uh, and to what I see that as, is like a starting place okay, there's the frustration and anger. Now let's go forward. Mm. So I don't just keep going down the, the road of anger and frustration. And I mean, unless that's like the necessary thing to do. But when I'm with people, especially in, in this format of grief and death and dying, I'm just like constantly reminding myself to love them and you know it just like it's this filter of like seeing them as this divine beauty this magnificent light and because it's in like a one-on-one -on -one session or if it's a group session i don't want to say it's easier but it's contained mm -hmm. right so like when you're walking on the street 
that's the reminder, but that's not always how I'm living because things are happening. You know, people are cutting people off and, right. you know, someone's wearing a funny outfit that I think is goofy. <laughs> so <laughs> that part of me comes in and wants to like, you know, take over. And then I will just notice that that's the starting point and love that part of me. And then try, mm. to, try to reverse it and also like love the goofy outfit or whatever it is. Oh, I think that's so important. That's so profound what you just said. No, it starts with noticing and loving that part of me. And then I can reverse it and, and turn that love towards someone else. But I think that's that step right there. Well, noticing obviously is, you know, awareness of that is <laughs> life changing uh, first. And it which same, seems so crazy to me to hear us say that because it's so simple, but it's just not common from where we've, you know, been raised to pay oh, attention. So yeah, no, it's not really what we were taught. Not what we were taught. So to notice is powerful in itself, but then when you notice to not instantly turn to shame and self-loathing, but to see yourself with that loving gaze so that you can turn it towards the other. Krista, I'm very fortunate to have learned that pretty early mm. in, in my sadhana or my inner yoga adventure yeah. <laughs> is, is to like be really kind to ourselves and to not shame ourselves. And one of my teachers, David Harshita Wagner always says like, don't spank yourself. Mm. And there's just, cause there's just so many things that will spank us. Yeah. And instead just like, like wrap your arms around it and, and love it. Like love those parts of us that are, you know, thinking the person's outfit is goofy. Mm -hmm. It's just like, who are, who are you? Like, maybe they really love that outfit. <laughs> right, right. That curious, curious compassion or compassionate curiosity. <laughs> mm. I found that's been a, a big theme in many conversations I've had over the last year with friends and strangers, just the power in letting those parts of ourselves that we've previously shamed either consciously or unconsciously by hiding it away and suppressing it. And instead of just saying, hey, I see you. <laughs> I see how you tend to want to do that. Why do you want to do that? I'm so yeah. curious. <laughs> And then that little creature isn't scared of us and can come out and be honest and say, well, I kind of want to judge other people because X, Y, Z. Then you have this conversation and you can move through to and arrive somewhere else. I love that you brought that up. Um, tell me about inner yoga. What is, <laughs> what is inner yoga? Inner yoga is, is a term that one of my teachers, Harshita, uses to talk about like yoga as a whole. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting when we say yoga in the West, most times people think of yoga asanas or yoga poses. Mm. Yes. And before, uh, before the yoga asana boom, when people said yoga, they thought of someone meditating. Mm. And it's funny down here in Mexico City, I, I was talking to someone and my Spanish stinks, uh, but I, I was telling him, you know, I said yoga and he did the like, the, this thing, 
you know, and if I don't know, people are listening, like, you know, some people do a little mudra with their hands, like you would imagine someone meditating. And I was like, oh, I really like that. That's what he thought about. Right. As opposed to the yeah. yoga poses. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's all wrapped up in in yoga, but I just say that as like a you know the the many paths or avenues of of yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, so inner yoga a lot of times is like also that contemplation of the self or you know God. Mm. And you you are a yoga teacher correct still and that's is that where you began your whole your journey you you were doing that before you moved into grief work yeah I I did a yoga teacher training and you know I was I'm I'm very fortunate to have a lot of great friends and mentors that have helped me along the way and I with teaching yoga asana I I just love education and teaching okay and the truth is that teaching yoga, it's, it's, a, it's I don't want to say an easy in, but nowadays, anyway, you don't have to go through like four years of ed, you know, higher education and then get a master's degree. You know, it's like a 200-hour certification, which okay. is yeah. also kind of wacky when you think about it. People who cut hair have to do way more than 200 hours. Oh, interesting. Yoga, Uh (laughs) you know, we go to Costa Rica and do a 200 hour training in a couple weeks. And, um, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. And I don't want to go and sound really cranky about that because it's, it's all good. But yeah, that's, that's one of the quickest ways for me to be in front of people as an educator. Yeah. And it, and I can imagine that it does would naturally people might show up, uh, not even. Well, you can tell me if this is true. Do you have people show up who are just thinking, "I'm just going to a yoga class," and then they end up it opens their hearts, their souls to something to a deeper exploration. Totally, and they want to enter in further. So it, it's a beautiful doorway for people yeah. to. And, so, I, oh, go ahead. And and for for some folks, just want to go and like you know, get strong or become yeah. more flexible or mm-hmm. connect with community. Right. Or, or just like, I don't know, make their partner happy because they dragged them along. You know, who, who knows? And right. There, again, there's like, sometimes it may sound like I'm being a little uh, crusty about it, but I, whoever walks into a yoga classroom, it, it's great. Yeah. You know, you're, in the, you're in the right place, even if you hate it and don't, don't, don't do it again. Yeah. Uh, what do you, so over the last it seems to me that over the last few years, uh, yoga, meditation, all of these uh, these practices that did not originate here um, have become much more, not just uh, openly accepted, but um, celebrated and popularized. And I imagine that people such as yourself who have spent you know, your life training and diving deep into these conversations, they're probably, you're probably aware more than I of things that are misrepresented or underrepresented in pop culture that you would love to 
clear up or, you know, okay. invite people to look at it a little differently. Can you share some, some of that, if that's true for you? Yeah. And I want to be like, also, I, I don't want to tread on someone else's culture. Sure. So the, these days, like, look, people need to know that yoga comes from India. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, for number one, some folks don't have any idea. So I, I imagine that most of the people probably tuned into your podcast do know that, but just know that it's it's been around for a really long time. There's a lot of different lineages. It's very complex. It can be very nuanced. And it goes from people that are really interested in working with the mind from people who are really interested working with the heart, not the beating heart, right? Mm -hmm. But the, mm -hmm. the heart of, you know, love. And it goes to people interested in working with the body and listen to, listen to seasoned and senior teachers and listen to folks from India because there's there's a lot of great people doing education on the roots of yoga and even there people are going to say different things right the, the you know in the west we we have like the bible you mm -hmm. know whatever it is like it's a book or maybe two books right in india there's just so many texts mm. and most modern day yoga teachers talk about the yoga sutras of Pantanjali, because it it's got a good name for yoga teachers, the yoga sutras, mm. and it's a great text, but it's one of so many. It's one of so many, and I don't want to do a whole thing about what the yoga sutras are and aren't, but you know, if you're a yoga teacher or you're interested in yoga, there there's there's lots of really great texts and really great teachers to, to look at. Don't stop just with the yoga sutras. Yeah. Don't stop just with warrior two. If you're, if you're a yoga teacher, I would say. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I see it as, um, or what I hear you saying is not without condemning anything, it's an, it's an invitation that there is plenty. If, if you feel opened um, by any of the practices that you experiment with or enter into then there is plenty more to become familiar with than, yeah. than, than what we might just run into on instagram yeah yeah and there's just so many it's you know india is fucking old mm -hmm. <laughs> and every village had a different way that they would do a certain practice yeah. and you know we've kind of boiled it down now to something that's a little bit more packaged for for us and mm -hmm. that's fine if that's what works for you but know that there's you know there's like an endless stream of of information from yoga so find a great teacher what I see running through the various aspects of your work and and interest uh, is a uh, just a um a holistic approach like even the death cafe that i sat in on you i think adriana did do some body movement that day and there may have been a song that 
I can't remember if it was at that that we were singing. There may have been a song, there may have been a reading, there was communal opportunity to share. You shared some insight and wisdom. And, and so um, I'm, you know, a person who did not come, well, to some, some degree, my early childhood uh, moving around in different uh, Christian, different types of Christianity um, I experienced. And so there was some embodiment, but I'm now just so fascinated to learn from people who have such uh, varied experiences and to know how, what else I personally haven't experienced in terms of bringing my whole being together. Mm. So it's not all my head. It's not all intellectualizing and giving names to things. That's part of it. Mm. And then verbalizing, being witnessed, letting, asking, where am I feeling it in my body? A conversation I had with a friend the other day, and she said that that was so new to her when a it was either a therapist or a spiritual director said, where do you feel this? Where, where does this uh, live in your body? This, And she had never once considered that her fear was bodily thing as well. You know, mm. I, mean, I remember <laughs> the first time someone asked me, you know, when I closed my eyes and did something similar, I was like, well, where, where is that in your body? Or, uh -huh. And I was like, I don't fucking have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. it's not all right up here in, it's my, in my head. head yeah I could sometimes feel it like I mean I know what like it feels like to wake up and feel like something standing on my chest you know that I that part of the physicality of anxiety I was familiar with um but you're right so much of the rest of it just feels like it's just in up in the brain yeah and if that's if that's someone listening to again that's like a great place to be that's the starting place. Mm. And some people aren't going to be as connected to the body right away. Yeah. You know, so, you know, like Ramdas always reminded us, go from here to here. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just listening, he would point to his head and then his heart, from head to heart. And it's this constant reminder and a constant practice. So the first time you close your eyes and you say, well, you know, like if you think of, if you're feeling let's just say longing for a beloved who's died. And you can't articulate where that is in your body. That's okay. Mm. Maybe you just need to like get up and, and walk, you know, fast, like with some intensity mm. to, to be in your body. Uh, you know, like there there's a learning curve in the same, it's the same thing with emotional intelligence, right? Like I'm angry. Okay. Well, wh what do we mean when we say angry? Is it like me? I have to like, it's frustration. Okay. That mm -hmm. sounds, yeah. So there's like the emotional wheel charts. I, I have it on my desktop and like, you know, I'll tap it open and be like, where am I today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and oftentimes it's more than one thing. Right. You know, it's not just like straight frustration. And we see that in grief. You know, like how how are you feeling in this moment? And then you you know, if it helps, you can close your eyes and just how am I feeling in this moment? 
you know, in this moment, I'm feeling like joyous and excited. Hmm. That's the answer. Yeah. Right. And I can tell you, like, a lot of times we give the story or the to-do list. Hmm. And you know, my dog Dracula. You know, it's like I say his name and I start getting welled up. Hmm. My dog Dracula died in November, uh, November twelfth of twenty twenty-one. And, you know, like I, I think about him and I, I, you know, I say his name and I bring him into this space and, you know, I'm, I'm touched with, you know, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of tenderness, but also I'm really happy to like talk about him. I'm excited to like bring him up in conversation. Mm. And I, I guess I'm going in this direction is because People, for the most part, want to talk about their grief and want their grief to be seen. But like in in this case, like I want to talk about my dog. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about him for the next hour and a half if we have yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And and by and large, a lot of us shy away from these conversations. Kind of like what you were saying in the very beginning, we go back to the, the cower. Mm -hmm. And I get it, I totally understand. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but if we, if we look at it and, and say like, oh, I, I, I do wanna want my grief to be seen, however my grief is expressing itself that day. I do want to talk about my, my loved ones. I don't want to have to move on. I don't want to have to bury it. Mm. Because that's love, that's your love. Right. Right? My love for Dracula will will it will always be there. You know, in my my tears, I heard this once, I forget I forget who said it, is just an expression of my love. Mm-hmm. And I love that dog completely but it's not going anywhere right so i will continue to express it so yeah. i guess one of the reasons why i'm going on this tangent is because for folks listening like know that your grief matters and your grief is so unique to you and no one no one will ever understand your grief mm. And even if it's the same death, even if you had a dog named Dracula, <laughs> who was a black Brussels griffin that you adopted at five years old and you know, got in the same thing and the same illness and the same day even, let's just pretend that that actually yeah. happened. Your grief is totally different from mine because your relationship was so unique to that being. Mm. Is it essential to the grieving process and to the movement of grief? I don't, I don't know that it goes away, but to some degree, in my experience, it's moved through me and it's not uh, like so weighty in my body now as it was a few years ago. Um, is that witnessing 
like the crucial ingredient? What what is essential? What have you seen to be non-negotiable in a way? If we want the grief to do what it came to do. Well, I don't think we can negotiate with time. And Krista, can I ask you a little bit about like you don't have to go into the whole thing, but I'm curious about what the the grief is that you're referencing from. Oh yeah, the nature of my most intense grief was the end of my marriage um, in 2017, which involved um, a lot of other fallout, a lot of other losses that were attached to yeah. to the marriage. So yeah, those those fallout are like their secondary grief. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, it's like you're grieving the, the, the loss of your, your partnership and um, your marriage. And then m- maybe, right, there's also, you know, the, the loss of relationship of people that came with that marriage, whether it's mm-hmm. their family or maybe events that you used to do with other married couples. Yeah. Um, so there's all these secondary griefs that come with, with, uh, with that. And with, with most, almost all loss. Yeah. You know, I just think about like, you know, I'm a dog dad and then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't go to the dog park anymore. Right. So 2017, right? mm-hmm. just for, again, I, I know I just said that grief has no timeline, but most people would consider early grief up to two years, mm. right? So that doesn't mean that after the two-year mark that we're in late-stage grief either. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not as simple as that. But I just want to say that to folks listening to know that um, whether it's been a year or 10 years, like the, the, the grief still walks with you. Grief is always going to be in the room with you, Hmm. but maybe um, there's less there's less times where that grief button gets pressed. Hmm. Like you said, there's like that weight. I I believe we always walk with with grief, Mm -hmm. but it's it's going to be less inflamed and agitated. Hmm. That's a good way of saying it. I like that. Yeah, so the, um, I love the word witness so much. Um, it's come to mean so much to me the last few years. And, and I, I think that when I think of the word witnessing or witness, I also think of the word presence. They're, they're very like intertwined to me. And um, I think it was Eckhart Tolle, I heard say something about like, a therapist will say a lot of insightful things and give you a lot of insight that that's very helpful. But what really heals us is their presence, um, which I think of in terms of the work that you do, either one-on-one um, in helping build people build practices. And um, I would love for you to say more about that too, or the Death Cafe. It's this giving one another the gift of our presence to just witness, to listen to the tears and the the grief as it comes pouring out, but also listen to you tell the funny stories about your dog and how 
how much, you know, what Dracula used to do. And, and, and just that like shared joy in memory. Um, I, I do think that that's something I've experienced as well is just unbelievable power in just being with a person. And we all, I think, have experienced being with people. It could even be a close friend, but on a day when they're not able to be very present with you, to really, you feel unwitnessed, even though you just spent an hour and a half having coffee or something, right? Yeah. They're on their phone, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, a question. That person. Yes. Oh, sorry, now, now I'm interrupting you, of course. No, fine. <laughs> ask you a question, and mm -hmm. as you're answering it, they just kind of trail off. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, where are you? Yeah. And I've been that person, you know, and I, I can feel it afterwards, my own sense of regret that I missed this moment with them because I was doing other things mentally. Um, but just, it does, it's kind of like what you said earlier in terms of the work choosing you rather than you choosing the work, the present to it, how that kind of takes a little pressure off. Um, it's the same with presence. When I'm fumbling my words, I'm often reminding myself, you can fumble the words and still leave a loving impact. But if you're not present, you can say all the right words and they will feel nothing or they will receive very little. Yeah, I love that. That's, that's, yeah, see, as I fumble my words. <laughs> <laughs> I think of it like this. We experience death in our lives. Our whole worlds change. But you walk out the door and the world is seemingly going on like nothing's happened. Right. And then we might be thrust back into this world where everything is the same, but your life has completely changed. Mm -hmm. And part of you, I'm speaking very generally, a part of you, part of us wants to be like, someone fucking pay attention to me right now. Right. Like someone needs to see how much pain I'm in. Mm. My beloved is no longer alive. And we are so death phobic and grief illiterate that even if people around us might be aware of what's happened, but we just don't know what to say or how to be. Mm. I'm actually writing the, the newsletter today is gonna to be about things to either avoid or potentially say to those in grief. And, For us to just be in a space with someone and just be like, I am fucking really not okay today. Mm -hmm. And someone that just be there with you and not feel like they have to make you not okay. Right? We can't fix death because death isn't a problem. <laughs> everything dies, right? Mm -hmm. So... to give people that presence, to give people a, a place to be witnessed. Mm. For 50 minutes a week, you know, an hour and a half on a death cafe, mm -hmm. 
I tell folks, I'll never get tired of your grief. <laughs> what a gift that is to hear, to have someone say that to you, because mm -hmm. it is very, very, very easy to feel like a burden, you know, mm -hmm. in a world that wants to feel great all the time. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, you know, but, I, but what I, I personally experienced both in my journey and then even in a, you know, micro sense being on your call that day is that it's so interesting. It's so counter to what we expect because we think that acknowledging grief is diminishes, is going to diminish my joy, diminish my sense of aliveness. But in my experience, as uncomfortable as it has been, even in those worst moments, I and mean, I ended up writing about it and trying to articulate this in so many different ways that th those were the moments where I felt myself for the first time maybe in my life like <gasps> I feel a lot like I'm in my pain I'm feeling my aliveness expanding I just feel like I've just been awakened from something from a, a dream and um it's it's not something that I could then judge as bad or good it just is it just was what it was but um yeah, it's the suppression. It's all for me, it's always been the suppression of anything that diminishes my aliveness. But the allowing. And that suppression is, is also for you know happiness and joy. Because how many people fucking suppress happiness and joy? Yeah, right. Like maybe it's a self-worth thing or right. You know, I feel or, guilty because I'm having too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and that that will, I mean, that's gonna pop right in there with grief too. Right, you're supposed to be sad right now. Why are you laughing? Right, and then there comes the guilt and the spanking. Mm. Because guilt and grief are, are walk; they're like best buds. Yeah. Wow. So the same thing to be like, you know, we suppress our happiness, we suppress our joy, and we suppress, you know, all the undesirable emotions, but they're all so mm -hmm. valuable. Right. Because that's, that's, you know, like a trigger. It, it, it's, it's a, it's a map of our healing. Mm. So it's unfortunate that, and I, I think most people now are kind of getting tuned in and turned on to like the, what's been called toxic positivity. Mm. You know, the good vibes only mm -hmm. <laughs> or or like you know bright siding right we mm -hmm. see that a lot in grief well look on the bright side right you can still have more kids <laughs> like what the fuck does you right so a lot of that that toxic positivity and that bright siding is just people not being comfortable being in an undesired emotion and and suppressing it but you're not what what good are you doing and i don't and i don't think i'm talking to your your audience out there because you have such a real voice but you will see people like posting stuff and saying stuff like you know i i i i've kind of a, removed myself from from that social media circle I just find it to be like really uh, 
like denying our humanness and our humanness right. is is a full spectrum that's right of emotions yes we're not here to like Absolutely. transcend our humanness like let's be human this is the one shot that we have that we know of right whatever happens afterwards if we transcend to something congratulations yeah. great but for now, what we know is these bodies and these emotions, these brains. The, when I met um, Adriana, it was at a mirror, the Mirabai Star retreat in Hawaii. And that was something that I really took away from, that I heard Mirabai speaking to. That was, that was really good for me, was that encouragement to, to not uh, overemphasize transcending or to try to escape this, but to celebrate these this bodily existence. That's what, if we, if we, if we came here to do something, that's, that's what we came here to do. Almost, yeah. almost from whatever perspective, whatever worldview, whatever religion you came from, like we can't get away from that. Everybody agrees on that, that we are here in, mm -hmm. you know, experiencing these bodies and all that comes along with it. And to escape that in, it would be to miss the point and to miss the opportunity and chances are you're, yeah. they're not actually escaping anything. No. They're, they're just avoiding and denying humanness. Right. If, if you stub your toe, you've stubbed your toe. <laughs> right? And, and folks like hear some of these, you know, and I'll, I'll take it back to some of these yoga teachings, some of these like really high level teachings are things like you're not the body, you're divine. Mm. But when... While that might be true on that level, I'm also in this human form. Mm -hmm. So when I see suffering, I go up to suffering and I hold suffering. Yeah. When a mother is crying because their child was hurt, maybe tragically in an accident or if they're, whatever the case is, we go and comfort that person. We go and be with that person. We don't say, well, you're actually not the body not the mind, something <laughs> divine. Right. Yeah, sure. But also, yeah. I, I want to hold the, the beauty of your humanness and your magnificence. I love that. I actually kind of want to close on that beautiful sentence that you just offered. Um, it's so representative of, of your work. Um, I do want to say, though, before we hop off, that you're, uh, you offer classes and the and the the cafe but you also do a lot of it's, it seems that you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work um do you want to describe that briefly because i would just love for people to know about that what's available yeah so we do the once a week death cafe or i'm sorry once a month death cafe which we'll start having more offerings of of those mm -hmm. times and all that we offer a our institute is called being held and we offer a foundations training that is looking at death, dying, and grief through the lens of spirit that are, people are interested in if they want to hold space for, uh, if they're interested in being a death doula, if they're interested in doing grief work, um, or if they're interested in just being in a space or a container to work with their own fear of mortality or their own grief. Mm -hmm. We don't have to necessarily want to move into that. Yeah. And then I see folks in one-on-one -on -one sessions. And 
sort of similar to the death cafes. I, I meet people exactly where they are, I, or I try my best. So some folks might come through the, the yoga stream. So we, we might do stuff with our eyes closed or do some breath work or do some movement. Some folks, you know, find me and they're just in despair. Mm. And I give them a place to be seen and heard. And I, I offer um, not advice, but I, I offer some, I will reflect what I hear them and maybe give them something to, to work with. Mm. And it's up to them if they want to do it or not. You know, if we do, if we do multiple sessions, I don't say like, where's your homework? Mm. They might, they might say this was really helpful. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that. Do um, the people that you work with need to come with any particular beliefs, belief set? I work with people who are Catholic. I work with people who are atheists. Mm -hmm. So every, like everything in between, because it's not about what I believe. Because what I, what, big deal. What I, and what I believe can change, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I guessed that to be true. I just wanted to say, have that yeah. said out loud. Um, one last question, then I'll let you go. It's been so fun talking to you. Yeah. And I'm so, so grateful that you took time when oh, you're in Mexico. <laughs> it's very generous. What, this, this is a question that I just really enjoy asking people. And that is, what do you love about being you, about embodying Matthew Dwyer in the world? Oh, man. I feel like this is putting me on this. I mean, I know that you put sort of putting me on this. I put everybody on the spot in this way because I feel like it's a, a question we don't hear ourselves or allow ourselves to answer out loud very often, if ever. I'm fortunate that I've been gifted a sense of humor uh, and humility that allows me to to just express who I am in a way that um, I'm, I'm, I've always felt very comfortable being Matthew. Mm. And, and I'm and I'm I believe I'm very fortunate for that. I, uh, so I think that's one of like the, the, the gifts that spirit has given me is just like allowing myself to, to express and be myself and how it, it, this incarnation needs to be expressed without a lot of um, hesitation. I hope that was a good enough answer. I probably could. That is, no, that is such a beautiful answer. It almost makes me weep because I just would love that to be true for all of us. And, and so, and I think it can become true for all of us. So it's an inspiration to hear, to meet someone who has, has experienced life that way. Thank you so much. You are a gift. And I absolutely love how life uh, just leads us one friend to the next and one teacher to the next and one, one book to the next. It's Thank you so much for reaching out and uh, letting me have this conversation on on your podcast and your folks who have made it this far if you've made it this far I, yeah. I, 
anytime that we see these words, sometimes, like you said, we want to run and hide. And, um, I, I, I can be there to help support you. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you so, so, so much. And to our listeners, thank you for showing up and for being curious about the different ways people find vitality and healing in the world. If you enjoyed this episode, follow, subscribe, share, and leave a positive review. It would mean a lot to me and also help more people find these conversations. And I'll meet you back here soon for another episode of Ways of Life.